the number one way to get adoption is to just give simply give better benefits and make it easy for them to use the platform because if it is easier to place an order through the platform rather than call a sales rep or send an email or fill out a spreadsheet, they will use it, you know, to be more specific about what actually that means than what was good look like. Well, you know, example would be having really awesome site search, for example. So, mm-hmm. you know, can I easily go in and find the products that I'm looking for? You know, how quickly can I get there? Is it a lot of clicks or will you take me there straight away? Are you showing me my catalogs, for example, when I log in? Like, what am I seeing? Is it custom to my business and what I want to see from your organization to make it sticky for me to want to come back? Hello and welcome to the B2B e-commerce talk, my favorite e-commerce edition. This is Michiel Schapers from Sana Commerce. And during this series, I talk about my favorite B2B portals. And I want to find out how they have been so successful in getting their customers online, ensuring they get the right return on investment. And overall, how they've overcome hurdles in their B2B e-commerce journey. Well, today I'm talking to Brad Sinclair, the founder and director of the B2B e-commerce association. How would you know about Brad? Well, he has been in the B2B e-commerce industry for over 13 years. He's worked as an analyst. He has helped set up e-commerce portals for one of Australia's largest furniture manufacturers. He was in charge of implementing e-commerce solutions for businesses as a technology partner and has advised many companies on their e-commerce strategy and execution. All the way from Melbourne, Australia. Brad, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, good. Let's start. So 13 years of experience, that's a lot. You've worked with many, many companies. Can you maybe give some examples of companies you've worked for? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I've been pretty lucky, I guess, along the journey. I've kind of worked with various um, companies in different sectors. So in the manufacturing and distribution space across, you know, whether it be healthcare and medical, uh, fashion and apparel, industrial and construction, even postal services at certain points in my career. So, you know, to highlight a few, you know, kind of locally when I started to get, you know, some strong exposure into the B2B category, some of the bigger implementations that I worked on earlier in my career was a company called Bunzel, which is in the industrial space. They're actually in a number of um, different categories, but selling predominantly industrial supplies. So I was involved in a B2B transformation, digital transformation at that organization where we launched a number of B2B sales channels for them to start to move a lot of their offline transactions into the online experience. Um, We even launched a dedicated portal for a particular customer category that they had in the aged care sector, which was quite interesting. Another, you know, company that I was involved in from a B2B perspective that has always been an interesting one in, I guess, my portfolio of projects is a company called Instatech Pivot Fertilizers. So they create explosives and distribute fertilizers through the various farming networks and other major industrial companies. Um, that was a really interesting, quite custom implementation of B2B e-commerce. Interesting. And, and what got you into B2B e-commerce in the first place? Yeah, so I kind of 
fell into it. I think like a lot of people probably yeah. have in their, their e-commerce careers, particularly around the people that have sort of been doing it for a while. And, you know, I was originally did accounting and finance at a uh, university, but got bored of that quite quickly and started to get an interest in e-commerce. And I had a sort of an entry-level role at a, a pure play online retailer. And that's where I really started to learn about, you know, the front end of um, e-commerce experience. And in Australia at the time, it was quite new, the pure play online retail scenario. So I started to get some good exposure into that kind of different world of digital commerce. And then by actual luck and coincidence, I fell into a role, uh, an opportunity with you know another successful European e-commerce platform called Intershop, which you guys would know well. And they had a, a small practice out down in Melbourne, Australia, which was quite unusual at the time because... It wasn't a big brand down here, had a, had a small number of customers, but the origins of Intershop at the time had a lot of B2B and I got into that role and at the time didn't really understand fully how you know e-commerce was being utilized for a B2B scenario. So I was lucky at the time to get a lot of exposure into that category, probably you know quite early on considering sort of where it's at now. So you know, that I always had a strong interest in helping you know manufacturers and distributors you know leverage e-commerce and what it can offer and that's what really drove me in the end to you know start the b2b e-commerce association yeah yeah interesting right i think like, like you mentioned a lot of people that are now active in b2b e-commerce today especially for a longer period of time they just you know just happen to get involved right because typically i think there's a lot more focus yeah. on b2c and retail commerce especially like you a decade ago so uh yeah that's definitely interesting yeah, I think it's still a challenge today, like, you know, getting more exposure for the B2B e-commerce industry, is. which is great why, you know, Sada and the guy, you know, the, you guys do a lot of awesome marketing. These types of podcasts are great for getting more exposure into, you know, what uh, opportunities are out there in the B2B e-commerce sector. So hopefully we can get more people involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm always impressed when I visit these companies, these wholesale distribution manufacturing companies. You know, oftentimes they are the world market leader in a specific product segment that they produce and they're like fantastic companies and super successful, but many people have never heard of them, right? So uh, that's one thing that yeah, really inspires right. me as well. Yeah, it's a challenge is getting the exposure for a lot of these companies that might be in um, less popular categories that maybe you don't hear about, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and one of these companies you mentioned is, is Bunzel that you work for. They're a huge company that probably most people have never heard of you've worked with them and you've seen them become successful in b2b e-commerce can you address maybe some of the success factors for bunzel in in successfully getting their customers to order online yeah i think um you know in general probably what i think looking back set that project up for success i guess was they had really strong digital transformation leadership at the time so the key people who were leading that project were really clear on what they wanted to achieve and they did a great job at bringing the various departments on board in that process and including them from very early on in terms of what they wanted to build for that customer experience and which created a you know a lot of great buy-in across the group and it had a really strong executive buy-in as well i remember very distinctly the the level of buy-in that was given from a gentleman named Rob Pine, who was the CIO at the time, and he was very heavily involved in that transformation, was the, was the sponsor for it, which really set the project up for success. And then, you know, probably 
fast forwarding to, to kind of where they are today, doing significant amount of their revenue, um, you know, online uh, through their portal and being able to successfully transfer a lot of B two B offline revenue to online has really, you know, has been the success has been built around, you know, having the customer front of mind in terms of being able to design that experience. So, what? How do you make your customer's job easier? I guess is a really probably a really nice way of putting it, I think, around what that mentality they had around designing for the customer as opposed to what they thought their customer wanted. So they went out of their way to make sure that, you know, this was going to make their, their customer's job easier day to day. You know, the difference between a you know B two B experience and a B two C style experience, even though people talking about them being similar, but they're very different in a sense that you know, a B2B buyer is there not because they want to be there. It's They're there because it's their job. So mm-hmm. it has to be simple, has to be seamless, has to add value to them in order for them to start using that as their, their primary way of, of ordering with you or making contact with you. So they did a great job in aligning the customer experience and the, and the, the UI and the UX of that platform for the particular customer groups that they were targeting. Can you give specific examples maybe on how they designed the website to with, as you put it, the customer front of mind and to really give them the best possible customer experience? Yeah. So like things from like the industrial supplies, for example, they had a lot of um, pre-built templates and they designed that sales sort of self-service experience to be really in line with the way that their their sales reps were also engaging with their customers. So giving them insights into, you know, when they would need new product, setting them up so they had these easy sort of quick orders that they could use. They also leveraged this capability. So they start to identify for the salesperson sort of when one of their prospects or one of their key accounts was using the platform. So we're setting up sort of automated triggers to allow them to get a notification if the customer had shown some strong buying intent but hadn't actually um, checked out of their cart and other other stuff that they did around particular categories um, kind of mentioned around aged care so they just quite significantly moved away from I guess the out of the box maybe experience that you would get with an e-commerce platform to design how a buyer in an aged care facility would purchase products so mm-hmm. part of that is they have particular checklists that they need to go through to service a particular facility so at the time bunzel went quite deep into what does each of these key customers and their facilities look like how many facilities do they have what are the actual items that they need for each facility because it wasn't always the same and then created tools and workflows within that experience that made it easy for them to place the order, but also recognize when stuff was falling short or when they needed to check again whether all those things had met their certain compliance standards. So they actually did out, went out and consulted with those aged care facilities about what that experience could look like and how they could make it better for them. So I hear you say, I think that they involved their customer as well in, into this designing the web sort of e-commerce experience the way the customers were wanted to have it. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, and I can imagine that for these companies that can use that template, it's much more user friendly than, of course, having. I can imagine when they have a template like that, that it makes it a lot easier for them compared to having to call to a sales rep 
and placing such an order, right? So it's a big difference for them in terms of, you know, I think they yeah. can also, that probably also had a good impact, positive impact on adoption, right? Yeah, that's right. Like trying to set it up for them so it's easy to use, particularly in those early days. So I think the other area of that is operationally is when, you know, they has, still had the face-to-face with the client or maybe there was some interaction over the phone, but you could also mm-hmm. add to those lists. So the sales reps or the operational people could take over in the back office of the application and be able to build those lists or add to it. So you could start to, you know, upsell and cross-sell other items that maybe they didn't know existed. And that really was, you know, the big part of the upside of expanding the platform. And I've seen this many times with other projects that I've worked on. You know, you may have a particular relationship with a customer and you've been selling them a certain type, a number, a certain type of mm. goods for a period of time, but you haven't really had the opportunity to easily upsell or cross sell other products to them. So, you know, obviously an e-commerce platform gives you that opportunity that you can start to offer them additional products across other service lines. You know, we're seeing that, you know, there's an increase now in B2B marketplace activity where the B2B companies are looking to bring in other products from other non-competing partners that can complement that product or it could be a service that they want to offer within their customer base. So, yeah, a lot of opportunities to, you know, increase revenue through those types of um, strategies as well. So, Brett, you also talked, I think, about a company that was doing both fertilizer as well as explosives, which is an interesting combination. Maybe you can speak a little bit more about that one and about the success behind that case. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pretty interesting project. So probably the one of the biggest challenges with that project from a customer experience perspective, front-end perspective, was that you have quite a layered model where you had farmers, you had distributors and resellers and other customer types that were logging in to purchase fertilizers, but they were basically creating custom blends. So they were having to, you know, pick certain percentages and ingredients that would go into that custom blend. And then that would then have to call SAP and take out or extract a custom price from SAP for that customer, depending on what blend they were looking for. So there was no sort of one size fits all from a pricing and product perspective. It was very, very custom in that scenario, which made it, you know, quite complex. And as, you know, Sana would know quite well that SAP, you know, integrations, uh, you know, never that straightforward. And, you know, it's great if you have some connectors and things that can help you accelerate your integration process. But there's also, there's always complexities and it's always important for, I guess, any B2B commerce project, particularly when you're looking at a, you know, integrated application like SAP, that you have the capability in order to be able to extract that data like pricing because often a B2B commerce scenario, it's quite complex. So that was a really big challenge in the project to always do that. And then also to be able to deliver that UI experience um, was also challenging. But then once that order was placed, there was an interesting customization that needed to be done around the delivery experience because, or I should, or more, what I should say is a pickup experience. So, you know, if you've ordered that fertilizer or that, or maybe the explosives, you had to get, have to organize for that truck to come and pick up those goods, right? So it needed to be a truck scheduling experience for the farmer or the distributor or the reseller to come and pick up that product. So that isn't something necessarily that, you know, from an experience perspective that is out of the box in any kind of B2B commerce platform or other technology. So that was an interesting experience that needed to be designed to deliver that end-to-end customer experience 
for that particular category. But I think it's a really good example of how, you know, in the B2B commerce category, you know, you, you can bucket B2B commerce into this, this one category, but then if you really look at health and medical, mm-hmm. industrial and construction, could be fashion and apparel, agriculture, whatever it might be, there's actually some really distinct nuances inside those industries that make it not one size fits all and there are going to be certain elements that need to be designed in order to deliver something of value for customers in that segment. But I think what's interesting now is that you've got a lot of companies as well that are popping up in various areas that are starting to create little niche solutions to solve a particular problem or a particular industry challenge where there may be someone who says, you know, I've built a solution that is dedicated for food and beverage or for you know, we specialize in health and beauty or whatever it might be to help overcome some of those specific industry issues. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how how different indeed these industries are. They have their own business rules and their own, own challenges. You mentioned food. Well, you got the best before dates and how that impacts the whole process of buying and selling. And I think the example that you just gave with the blends specifically for a specific customer with fertilizer, I think that's another great examples and how that triggers specific pricing and delivery options. I think that's really the complexity that you see in B2B that makes it also quite interesting, if you ask me. But it's definitely something that customers need to be aware of, how to translate that complexity into a proper UI. And because otherwise, you know, if customers don't see their pricing, exactly based on, in this case, the specific blend that they have ordered, then they will not see the adoption that they want, right? So that's, um, yeah, that's exactly, what this is yeah. all about. I do believe that these uh, this company selling both products, they must be sure to sell to send the one product to the one customer and the other customers to the other because you don't want to send the explosives, I think, to the wrong company. That's right, for sure. So yeah, great example. Thanks for sharing that one. You've seen a lot of success stories. I'm sure you've also seen B2B e-commerce projects be less successful or even fail. I was curious if you have any learnings that you can share from those. Yeah, I think that to summarize probably the last five years, I see the many discussions you have along the journey of B2B companies who tell you, you know, e-commerce is not for them or their customers don't want it. You know, usually generally find that those projects failed for, you know, a couple of reasons. First one is usually that they went into it as a side project Mm. didn't really view it as a strategic initiative for the business didn't really understand that it's not something that sort of sits to the side it really becomes you know at the center of your customers and your customer experience i think we're kind of at that point now and that's been the one of the benefits for the b2b commerce industry over you know during the covid impacts the last two years is that you know it was forced to become a come center stage in a lot of organizations and it forced a lot of people to stop and actually understand the role that it plays and what they need to do in order to enhance that experience. So the fact that it kind of was the red-headed stepchild for a while there in a lot of these companies and the fact that if they did launch something and you didn't see immediate impact in that channel, that Mm. it was probably deemed as a failure quite quickly and I think as well from a maturity perspective, once those channels are launched, I think there's a lot of businesses that didn't know what to do next. They thought just getting that platform live was was the hard bit 
And then how do you actually get your customers to transact on that platform? A lot of people don't have a plan for that to be able to drive that customer adoption that you talk about as well. Hence why they never get that uptake in the platform. And people that weren't investing kind of that had something in the last couple of years, but they, they maybe, maybe they had an online experience of sorts and hadn't really put that much money into it. They kind of would have seen an uplift just because they had it, that mm. there was something there. But the people that had investing obviously really reaped the, the benefits of that. But so there's that element. And then that really flows into the, the second part of it, which is really just they don't have the right people within the organization to drive the project forward and operationally day to day and to be able to make really good decisions around B2B e-commerce and e-commerce environment in general. Because I think one of the biggest challenges about being an e-commerce manager or a head of e-commerce is you're kind of like a mini CEO in a way because you're having to make, to be good at that job, you need to be able to traverse across a number of different departments and a number of different stakeholders because it does impact all the areas of the business, whether it is you know, the IT department, the marketing department, sales, supply chain, product, it connects into all of those areas and it's impacting. So you need quite a strong acumen, business acumen and technical acumen as well to be able to make really good decisions and talk confidently within the organization to kind of move that stuff forward and build confidence around you. You know, I think what still is the biggest challenge, and I think that's when you see a lot of projects fail when you know, leadership says, I'm just going to give this to someone in the organization. They might be quite junior or maybe they come from a really traditional bricks and mortar background or traditional sales background and now they're, they're sponsoring or, you know, they're leading the digital transformation growth or the growth in, in the online channel and just simply don't have the experience. Yeah, I agree with um, that. We, we're seeing that as that well. Conversation. Yeah. 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 We're seeing that as well, right? Also because it's not easy to find these people, right? There are not a lot of people with many years of e-commerce experience, let alone B2B e-commerce experience. And I think it's also tough typically for executives to know exactly what they need to hire because, you know, these are, these for many companies, this is new and they're still finding out the team yeah. they need to build and the, and the leaders they yeah. need to bring on board to make that happen. Yeah, we're well, hiring, hiring for roles that you don't understand, that you personally don't yeah. understand. So that's quite difficult, right? Whereas if you're Absolutely. hiring for a sales leader within your organization or you're hiring a new warehouse manager or a new supply chain leader, you know, those are the things that your company is usually really, you know, really good at. Otherwise you wouldn't be in business. So yeah, it's quite difficult. And two, you know, clients defense on the client merchant side, like very difficult environment we're in as well. Like you've got so many technology vendors, so many service providers, everyone's trying to sell you something very hard to make sense of what, to do sometimes and where to focus so you know i thought five years ago maybe this might get less complicated for people and but i feel often feel like it's maybe more complicated and what you think sometimes you know you know you realize you know sometimes quite a small amount it's kind Mm. of i think the challenge sometimes is to know what you don't know Mm. and then be able to ask the right questions is quite important it's kind of pretending you know will get you into a pretty bad situation. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons that B2B e-commerce projects sometimes fail is that the companies don't take the time to let the e-commerce initiative fully mature, right? They say after a certain period, like, okay, B2B e-commerce is not working for us. Our customers are not interested in it. 
And I think you said, you know, companies should give it more time. Can you maybe, based on your experience, say how much time should companies take before they fully evaluate their e-commerce, B2B e-commerce strategy? Yeah, so that's uh, a good question. I think you need to be measuring the performance ongoing. I think you need to be setting goals, you know, within your different areas of the business around, you know, measuring the success and what good looks like. So whether that's from customer service or from sales or marketing or, you know, even starting as really simple as, you know, how many times are our customers logging in? You know, how long are they spending inside the B2B e-commerce experience? Are they loading a cart? And then starting to, from there, develop some really quickly, develop some baseline metrics and then really just set goals and targets, you know, every month, quarterly, annually, semi-annually around trying to beat those metrics consistently and keeping, I guess, the, and this comes back to, you know, having everyone, you know, pulling in the same direction that this is at the core of, of our experience with our customers is starting to have people who are accountable within the organization for achieving those metrics. So obviously there'd be someone where the, you know, the buck stops with, but I think there needs to be incentives within the business to keep achieving those targets within the organization. So, you know, whether it is, you know, having, you know, sales reps, you know, converting customers through that or having like, for example, in sales, they should never be separated out. You should have them together. So the salespeople, their accounts, whether they're ordering online or whether they're, you know, ordering through a sales rep, it doesn't really matter. Like that, you know, maybe there's incentives that you can encourage to get, see how many more people we can get through that platform or whether it's, you know, call centers, how, how do, can we get the number of people who are calling down by improving the online experience? What are the things that we can be doing to enhance the operational experience from a customer service perspective? So all those things you want to be measuring that in ongoing capacity. But there's not many industries I can really think of now where you can say that there shouldn't be an e-commerce experience for them. Yeah, no, I fully agree. But sometimes they're setting up their B2B e-commerce platform not in the right way, not you know enough focusing on the customer experience. And as a result, customers are not adopting it. And as a result, they conclude that their customers don't want B2B e-commerce. They don't want to order online. But actually, that's in many cases the wrong conclusion. They just didn't offer it in the way that their customers wanted to use it. Yeah. I think it has to be that way. It has to be broken in the experience because everyone else now is forced to do everything else online. There isn't many things now that you're left to do where you do it offline. You know, all the simple things that people are doing in their lives are all doing it digitally now. So I guess the question we'll come back to is, is the ROI there for that? So that's the question. Yeah. How can companies answer that question, you think? Well, I guess there's a number of ways that, the ways that you can measure it. So whether it is an uplift in sales with your existing accounts, you know, are you able to cross-sell and upsell into them? What is your cost to survey customer? You know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of B2B companies as well wanting to, you know, service their mid-market or, you know, long-tail customers with the B2B e-commerce experience so they can get out to them and, and not have to, you know, spend money with sales reps visiting them. So can you lower the cost to serve in that scenario? So that'll all come back to those ongoing measurements and then being able to put a cost, I guess, next to that. So what I generally, you know, often find with a lot of stuff consulting stuff I've done in the past is that often a lot of companies actually don't know the answer to a lot of these things 
around what it actually costs them to process an order or, you know, what does it cost them to accept an order via email and have it keyed in or, you know, some industries, people don't believe me, but I, you know, there is still people faxing orders through in some categories, like faxing is still still alive. Yeah, so there's a lot of metrics that you can use to, to measure that, but typically it's, you know, the main ones are around reducing that cost to serve and then using the data and the analytics to be able to make smarter decisions as well around planning and forecasting and being able to find the opportunities as well to be able to upsell and, and close your customer as well, so getting a sense of what activities are actually taking place. And we also touched upon the topic of adoption. Can you give maybe the listeners some concrete examples of how companies you worked with were promoting adoption amongst their customers? Yeah, so I've seen quite a few ways. So I think ultimately the number one way to get adoption is to just give simply give better benefits and make it easy for them to use the platform because if it is easier to place an order through the platform rather than call a sales rep or send an email or fill out a spreadsheet, they will use it, you know, to be more specific about what actually that means than what was good look like. Well, you know, example would be having really awesome site search, for example. So, Mm -hmm. you know, can I easily go in and find the products that I'm looking for? You know, how quickly can I get there? Is it a lot of clicks or will you take me there straight away? Are you showing me my catalogs, for example, when I log in? Like, what am I seeing? Is it custom to my business and what I want to see from your organization to make it sticky for me to want to come back? So, those types of fundamentals, like getting those types of fundamentals right, is always sets people up for success. And, you know, you mentioned it before, you want to log in and you want to make sure that the pricing is correct. So, it's doing the small things really, really well. It's often what sets people up for success. It's when you start to cut corners and it's always been the same in even retail e-commerce. You know, you do little, th- you do a little few little things wrong, right? And then people start to lose confidence in that experience. So even if you were to say something was available and then it turns out it wasn't available and their customer placed a large order, what are they going to do next time? Next time they're going to call you. They're going to call the sales rep and say, hey, I'm going to place this order, but I placed it online last time and I've lost confidence that that's actually accurate. So now I'm back to calling my sales rep and sending emails over and over again because I don't trust that it's actually going to follow through. Or the worst thing from that experience is that I actually go to someone else, right? And I think that's the threat now a lot of B2B companies are facing is that, you know, you may have had those relationships in the past that were quite hard to break because... They didn't have the ability to go and start up with another supplier easily, view their range, start an account, discover people, whereas that that obviously is getting more and more competitive as well. So, but if I, you know, if you wanted to go, because I try and talk about immaturity, if you want to go next level in maturity, you've got different people as well who are, you know, might have um, loyalty programs and rewards and maybe they have that in their offline world and they've built it into their online world. They're incentivizing people. They're personalizing the experience around the products and the timings of when you're presenting things to start to improve the conversion and increase the volume of, of orders that are being put through the portal. Yeah, but I also, so the first part of your answer is basically you need to get the basics right in terms of pricing, availability of product, 
you need to be super reliable towards your customers to get them to come back, right? And to make it make it a really smooth experience for them to order online. I think those are the basics that you need to get in order. And that yeah, will first product, and foremost product, drive adoption, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, great product information as well. Yeah. Like just people love great product data. Like uh, and that's obviously an unsexy area as well that people can underinvest in pretty you know, so I think that's, you know, the more you can provide that high quality product data and educate customers as well around product, you know, that's gonna give them more of a reason to stay there and, and see you as that that source of truth or that educator, that leader in your category. Yeah, absolutely. I think education is for most of our customers one of their key objectives that they want to do to stand out from the competition, right? That just offers product. They also want to provide all the education around which product to buy and how to use it. And I think that's a key point for B2B businesses these days, especially as they move online. I agree. I think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have been involved with many e-commerce projects. I was curious about when it comes to selecting an e-commerce platform, how important is such a decision for a company from your experience? And what should companies keep in mind when selecting a vendor for e-commerce? Uh, it's a good question. It could be a long question. So I try and keep it simple to distill it and what I would think is most important. It is a big decision and can feel pretty overwhelming, I think, for maybe, you know, if you are a company that has never invested heavily in e-commerce or maybe you've dabbled in it or it's the very first time that you're going to be investing in the space. So there's a lot that you maybe feel like you don't know about the technology and, you know, selecting a vendor it's, can be quite difficult in the sense that, you know, you can invite a number of people into the conversation and, you know, a lot of people can show you a lot of similar capability on the surface. But I guess it's being able to dig underneath that and to sort of prioritize what is important to you is the key to success. But if I had to really distill though, I guess, away from, you know, the technology because it is quite similar a lot of the platforms in terms of core capability i'd be really looking at you know what are those things specific things to your business that make you unique and looking for examples from the vendors of where they've implemented a similar scenario before and maybe they have particular traits to their organization or their strategy that really align well to the direction that you want to go. I don't necessarily think that people need to get fixated on, please show me an example of when you did this for, you know, a similar dental company to me. I think just similar scenarios of where they've, they've solved that similar challenge is, is quite advantageous. And then you really need to make sure that you're looking really closely at who is going to be the implementer of the, of the technology and making sure as well that that aligns well to your business and, you know, culturally and they've got a successful track record in, in implementing B2B e-commerce solutions. I think, unfortunately, there's been a lot of businesses that have not been able to find the right partners, either whether it's from a technology perspective or whether from a systems integration perspective. And that was one of the things that I, you know, wanted to solve from a B2B e-commerce association perspective is that hopefully – you know, whatever solutions people decide to go with, that they are going with sort of recognized B2B e-commerce platforms and people that actually understand the challenges of B2B e-commerce because the amount of times where I've walked into engagements um, or just having conversations with people and I, you know, I'm quite 
you know, I was always just feel disappointed for them that, you know, it didn't work out. And then you look at the technologies that they tried to use and the companies that they tried to work with and, you know, they never really had a chance because mm. the, just the technology wasn't the right fit and the people that were implementing this technology were only ever going to be able to get them so far because they just never really done it before. So I think that's where I try and focus. Yeah, I think that touches upon something we said earlier, right? The, the complexity of B2B e-commerce, the specific challenges also within B2B e-commerce for specific industries. I think it's absolutely key to to understand that and to work with people and with vendors that really understand that complexity have done it before. So yeah, that's clear advice. Thanks. Last question, more generic one. Many companies are listening. Perhaps they're considering to invest in their B2B e-commerce portals or their strategy or to take a different direction. Any generic advice you would like to give them before they start with it? I think just go into it knowing that it's not a the project doesn't end. So, you know, this is you know, you gotta be committed that, you know, this is a core component of your business now and you know take on the challenge that, you know, you want to to learn and be open minded around and show some vulnerability in certain areas where you don't, you know, you don't maybe don't know what you don't know. And I think if you take that approach, you're gonna set yourself up for a, a lot higher chance of success. And then really start to, you know, think about, you know, we've talked about, you know, people, you know, what are the types of people that you can start to invest in to get them into your business? Because ultimately it's, you know, the technology is only going to, you know, get you so far and it's you really need to have people around that can run and operate and make decisions. So I think it's, um, I think that's important to start thinking about. And, and other thing I'd say to people as well is just like, you know, it's very easy to get a lot of inertia because there's, there's so many things you feel like you mm-hmm. decisions you have to make. But the hardest thing really for a lot of companies is you just got to get started. Yeah. Like once you start, you know, find the pathway to be able to start because that's often the, the big challenge. You know, there's so many things that can get in the way that the project can sometimes never get off the ground. So I think that's hopefully some good advice um, because, yeah, that's often what holds people back. I think that is good advice, you know, especially the combination of, you know, just getting started, but think about it in a long-term way and really setting the goals to track progress, but understanding this is not a quick fix, right? That is something that is quite a lot of work for companies to get successful at. I think that's uh, definitely clear and very strong advice. So thanks for that. Another key takeaways, I really liked what you started to talk about in the beginning, how leadership and uh, the executive team needs to be involved, right? Needs to be committed and have to buy in for the project. One other key takeaway is about, you know, always keeping your customer front and center and optimizing for their experience. Because like maybe a B2C buyer, it's more about inspiration and fun. But for a B2B buyer, it's all about doing their job. So efficiency and ease of use is uh, absolutely key there because we want to make their lives easier, right? I like that you talked about cross and upsell and the opportunities that e-commerce has for companies to do more of that and do it in a more natural way and in a way that's easier for the, for the, for their customers. And I very much liked the part where you talked about the complexity of B2B e-commerce, uh, for instance, around pricing and how that is fundamental to providing a very good customer experience online. I thought the comment around having a mini CEO to run your B2B e-commerce operations I think that's one that people can uh, can take away as well. 
and yeah, like you finished, just get started. I think that's the key piece of today. So uh, Brett, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast today. To the rest, thank you for listening. This was Michiel from Sana Commerce. We hope to catch you for our next My Favorite E-Commerce podcast. In the meantime, you can listen to our IT-focused podcast with our Chief Product Officer, Arno Ham. And if you have any questions or you'd like to get in touch, you can contact us via podcast at sanacommerce.com. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Thanks. Great to be here.